Hell yeah. <laughs> so we're getting, uh, we're working on getting caught up on what we do in the shadows. Yeah. For the new season coming out. I think it comes out June or July. Yeah, I'm not caught up. I gotta get caught up too. But um, I, have, we're like, I have bigger fish to fry with this case going on. Yeah. We we binged a lot of season three today. Um, we just ordered pizza and like vegged out and watched like seven or six episodes. Yeah. Um, I, it's so I was cackle laughing these this last episode. It was the one with um the sire getting out. Have you gotten to that one? Yes, I think that's actually yeah. might be where I might be one of the last ones I've seen. Oh, okay. Well, so we if might... you want to start, know, right? start <laughs> it watching this. up again. But the the Baron but spoilers. Coming. Is it really the split? Like, yeah, yeah. I guess. Look, I got yelled but, at for 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 spoiling uh, the lovely bones last week. <laughs> you didn't get yelled at. I did. So she yelled at me. <laughs> no one yelled at you. But no, seeing seeing the the one character who is back from the dead without yeah. spoiling anything in the like Barbie dream car thing, mm-hmm. the fucking killed me. Yep. I can't stop thinking about how funny that was when he first showed up in the car. <laughs> I was just like, I'm so sorry. What? Yeah. Hilarious. Now Dee's going to come after you for spoiling this. I, it's not a spoiler. <laughs> I didn't say who it was. Oh, uh, man. There's a lot of characters dying God, that I show. Just, I gotta tell you, I love Nandor so much. Me too. I just love him. Like, I want to say that... Uh, I, oh, oh my god, I almost said Jedzia. That is a totally different show. That's how this episode's gonna be, baby! <laughs> Nadja. I, I want to say that she is my favorite because she's amazing, but at the end of the day, the one that makes me laugh the most is always Nandor. I don't know. I really like Nadja. I mean, I, like I do. Their, I like their um, interactions now that they're leading yeah. together. Yeah. That's super funny to me. And I like, uh, I think my favorite character is Guillermo, though. Oh, of course, Guillermo. But, um. Thank you, Colin I, Robinson. I just, like, I just, <laughs> did I send you, I either sent it to you or you sent it to me, the video of, um, of them having the interview and they're talking about the toilet paper. No, I don't right. remember that This one. might have been before you started watching, so I didn't send it to you because I didn't think it was relevant. But they're doing an interview, the four, or the five cast members are, are sitting around and, um. The actor who plays Nandor is talking about like whether or not the paper rolls over or under, and he's like, "Well, of course uh-huh. it rolls over." And then the guy who plays Colin Robinson goes, uh, "Not to be too much in my character here, but the patent does say that it rolls <laughs> over top." Then, I think I've seen it, but then, I don't know that you sent it to me. Nandor goes, "Thank you, Colin Robinson." <laughs> <laughs> yes, love him. Um, Persian representation too. Look at you go. Yeah. Look at you out there. Yeah. And he looking fine. He is looking fine. Uh, yeah. I gotta, I like him better with the long hair and beard, I do, though. too. I, think, I mean. I think it's a good look for him. Yeah. And he was a good looking man before, but now he's my type. <laughs> yeah. I think it's crazy. So they were talking about it in, uh, not to plug another podcast, but God damn it, Trixie and Katya, if you listen, mm, please, yeah. please reach out. What's up? Uh, we'll play The Sims together. It'll be great. But they had Harvey, the actor who plays Guillermo, on their show, on their podcast, and did an interview with him. And I thought it was wild. They said, he said that in the first season, um, the actress who plays Nadja, because it was kind of low budget Mm -hmm. still, she was using her real hair. Like, she didn't have a wig yet. So, like, all of that 
all of that hair was her hair. Yeah, she has. Doing all that all the time. And yep. I was like, how did... Ugh. That's like the fact that they bleached Spike's hair and Buffy all the time and didn't just put him in a fucking wig. Yeah. And I love Matt Berry. Love him. Yeah. I love all the videos and, and TikToks and stuff I've seen of him in whatever the overacting the content he was doing. Well, he like he and people do his voice all the time too. But I remember I was watching the Book of Boba Fett, and I was like, "That droid's voice sounds very familiar." That's Matt Barry. <laughs> like getting really excited about watching it. Yeah. yeah, I'm watching. I'm watching it, and I'm just like, "Oh my god!" If they were ever to redo Black Adder, oh yeah. <laughs> well, and he was in was it the IT crowd, which is like super gross and cringy and transphobic in some areas. So I do not recommend for everybody. Uh, but before I knew that, <laughs> um, I watched a lot of it and he was one of the bosses and then he was a part of this really gross, cringy, transphobic part of it. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. But he, I mean, like he was an actor. He wasn't like, I wrote this episode or anything. As far yeah. As I know, but. Well, and it's also a little bit of a different time situation. Yes, it was a different, it. Well, a different yeah. time. Not that it makes it okay, but. No. Historical but lens. Historical lens. Yeah. Um, yeah, know, man. I'm I'm so I'm gonna be so disappointed when we run out of the show to watch until the new season comes out, and then I'm gonna be sad when we're out of that to watch. I I still I, it just makes me laugh how many times I told you to watch this show, and we started it a couple of times and then just didn't go back. Something else would come out and catch our attention or whatever. Some weeb and we shit. We just didn't probably. go back to it. No, it was normally <laughs> like the the different Marvel shows and stuff. Mm all kind of coming out because i think that you really started i know you recommended it to me before and we watched the the original movie i remember together. yeah i remember recommending the movie to you the first yeah first thing and um but yeah we were, we're like seven minutes in and all we've done is talk about what we do in the shadows so yeah. maybe we should... uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you want to talk about somebody really shitty always let's go welcome to the strange and unusual where we discuss the strange and unusual this is episode 154 of our series seeking out the weird the unexplained and the devious from around the world i'm casey and i'm roya and this week we are continuing our discussion on Lori vallow's trial it's this is a long one. I, I know that last week's episode was hefty. <laughs> I don't know how long this week's episode is going to be, but I do know that this is going to end up being a three-part baby. First one. At least. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. Find us on social media because we're there. Uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, uh, various iterations of Strange and Unusual. Um, also, we are on Patreon, patreon.com slash strange and usual. All this information will be at the end of the show, as well as in the show notes, where it will be spelled correctly as usual, and has never been spelled incorrectly, ever. <laughs> What's that? That birdcage <laughs> Can I take your purse? <laughs> for, for the as first usual. time. <laughs> as usual, for the first time. <laughs> yes. So, I will begin again with Weeboos, murder, child death, the Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints, weird cult shit, preppers, doomsday beliefs, demons, zombies, spirits, Nazis, world war, the storm, parallel universes, revelations, marriage, divorce, life insurance policies, animal death, 
the death penalty, white people in Hawaii, and uh, in all seriousness, there will be some graphic details of the remains of the dead, which again includes two children. That especially applies to today, as we will be talking about the autopsies, I presume. Um, it depends on how long it takes for us to get there. So, I when think that last... might be... I think that might be our longest wee-woos. I keep adding to it, that's why. <laughs> it's gonna get progressively longer as we go. <laughs> When last we left our intrepid adventurers, um, I was leaving off with the testimony of uh, Zulema Pastenis, who was, or is, I guess, Alex Cox's widow. Um, So she was called to the stand by the state. Here's where I'm going to remind everybody, if you have not already listened, go back to the last episode. You're coming into the middle of this trial. That's no good. Um, And if you're really interested in knowing what's going on, you'll want to head back to episode 123, where I talk about the case in its entirety before getting to trial. So Zulema takes the stand, as they say in Chicago. Uh, So there's a brief back and forth about Zulema um, having a, this is like with the whole, with both the defense and the, um, the state and the, the the judge and they're having this conversation about there being a prior felony drug charge Zulema. Uh, so um, the defense said that they would not bring up the prior charge and so they proceed with the testimony. Uh, Rachel Smith? Yeah, I mean, unless she's, even if she's a current addict or whatever, I that always blew my mind. They're, they're yeah. not, they're they're not, not a reputable meh, meh, meh. And I'm like... I mean... Were that they is... fucking stoned out of their mind when this happened? No, then that seems fine. Yeah, that's basically a lot of what the defense has to try to do, though, is undermine the credibility of the state's witness. So, and speaking of the state, uh, Rachel Smith was the attorney who questioned Zilema, and she starts talking to her about her relationship with Lori. Um, so she said that the first time they met, it was at Melanie Gibbs' house. Lori told her uh, that she had been visited by Moroni and was a witness to Jesus, which meant she had a very high spiritual standing, according to Zilema. So seeing Jesus is like the highest spiritual experience someone can have. I mean, that tracks. Yeah, I guess. Uh, so like, <laughs> <laughs> Lori said that angels put names in the computer for her to do family work in the temple for them, according to Zilema. Okay. This is Zulema's testimony. Uh, but she said she believed Lori. Like, she was like, why would she lie about this? This seems totally reasonable. Um, she's fucking crazy. Well, she did have a felony drug charge. Maybe she believes it. I don't know. Um, so they exchanged numbers and went to a conference together in Utah. A preparing a people conference. A prepper conference, you might say. Uh, so she discussed the first meeting of Chad and Lori. And she said that... Um, she was very flirty with Chad. Uh, she stayed at his table for much of the conference and basically was like essentially standing around trying to be his booth babe and was like, I'm going to sell all your books for you. Um, and in Zulema's own words, she said that Lori was, quote, putting the moves on him. Was like, <laughs> that was like icky. Um, on the way back, Lori uh, had some ladies looking up scriptures about James the Less. Um don't ask me who that is. But it wasn't until later. Okay, because I was like, <laughs> who is that? I don't know. No the, fucking idea. There's all these, like, there's James the Less and James the This and that and the other thing. Is like, there a James it, the More? I, I mean, I presume. Um, it, I mean, if James the Less exists, then it does stand to reason maybe, that James the More also exists. Maybe James the Less feels like an adult Harry Potter living under the stairs. <laughs> Maybe one of them is actual demon Nick Schneider. Ned Schneider. 
Ned Schneider. <laughs> I think I made that mistake the first time too. I, I well, I think he they gave both Nick and Ned in the first episode. Oh, okay. But he's only been referred to as Ned so far in the trial. Um. Anyway, uh, so she's looking up scriptures about James Celeste, and it wasn't until later that she found out that Chad had told Lori that he was James in a past life, and Lori had been his wife, Elena. So she also had uh, Zilema and the gals looking up stuff about the 144,000, which you should know much about if you've listened to 123. Uh, So they met again at another conference in Mesa, Arizona. Lori and Zilema had not spoken in a while. Uh, Sorry, she apparently ghosted Zilema after that first conference. So she went up to speak with Chad while Lori was there. And all of a sudden, Lori is so sweet and kind to Zilema and invited her over despite all this ghosting that was previously done. She's like, come on, we're doing a thing at my house. Come over to my house. We're doing a thing. And Zilema's like, I don't really want to go. And Chad was like, look, if you come, I'm going to give you a blessing. And if you couldn't tell, and if you couldn't tell, this is Zilema is a very deeply spiritual woman. So she wanted a blessing. And so she went. Uh, And that is where she met Alex Cox for the first time. Over time, she's growing closer with Chad and Lori. She hears about their past lives, her score on the light scale. Uh, she's eventually told about Charles slash Ned slash Garrett slash Hiplos. Lori told her that he was acting strangely, like a completely different person. And by the way, he looks shorter. And at the end of March, there was a group of women who got together to perform a casting on Charles to get rid of Garrett. And Lori joked that if cast if the castings didn't work, she could, quote, always put pills in his water. What? Yeah, 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 yeah. So there was a photo from this event. Uh, it's a picture of Melanie Gibb and another woman uh, named Serena Sharp standing um, with, I believe, with Zulema. And they they have their fingers like guns, like they're the fucking Charlie's Angels or something of religious nuttery. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and she said that all the women at these castings believed that what they were doing had value, in part because Lori was so convincing. Yeah. Quote, she had expressed that she had been visited by all of these heavenly beings. I wouldn't believe someone would lie about something as sacred as that. Uh, at another casting, Chad and Lori oh, told... Oh, you sweet summer child. I know. She, like I said, she's very sweet, but she's so naive and like, absolutely. <laughs> like, that's, that's the sun. Uh... She has this very soft, sweet voice, and she's just like, "Yes, I, I very, I really thought that she was telling me to do something valuable." And I'm like, "Oh, you poor little thing!" <laughs> I'm like, "Stop it!" <laughs> anyway, so at another casting, uh, Chad and Lori told her that Alex was a quote first creation, uh, and that meant that this was his first. <laughs> <laughs> my hand was on my ankle, and I had like a vacuum, and I pulled my hand up, and it made a fart noise. <laughs> And I was like, oh, God, if that's caught on the tape. I hope so. <laughs> All right. Sorry. So this that meant that this was Alex's first time on Earth and he wasn't as spiritual as everybody else. So certain things just couldn't be said in front of him. But then later, they're actually like, actually, we just so you know, Alex has been exalted in other creations and he's had multiple probations. So now he's like a very powerful spiritual being. They just like decided to change that, which was cool, super super cool. Um, and she said I that mean, when you're inventing your own religion, you get you to just sort of arbitrarily do make up new things, whatever you want, right? Be who you want to be. B a r b i e. I I shouldn't say that. They were definitely not making up their own religion. They were very devout uh, Latter Day Saint followers. 
I just want everybody who was alive in the early 2000s who knows the the Barbie theme song that I just sang to shout out in the comments. I don't know it. Be who you want to be. B-A-R-B-I-E. That's how it goes. What was so, that from? It was like a commercial. Oh, okay. But it was like in all the Barbie commercials in like the 2000s, I think. Anyway, so... Uh, yeah, so she said that Alex was assigned the role of a warrior during a casting. Um, she tells the court that if someone is dark or possessed, that they are dangerous, and that Alex believed this more than anybody else she knew. When the next casting didn't work, Heblos, the demon expert, took over. That's a That's quote. That's Heblos, right? Yeah, Heblos. Yeah, uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, he took just over to get my just trying to get my demon name straight yeah here. yeah yeah so um so he took over and several more castings were done laurie allegedly told zulema that charles moved back to texas because there were doctors to help people possessed by demons and keep the bodies alive i mean if there are doctors who believe in demons they definitely live in texas that's true uh zulema asked well <laughs> why would you move to texas with charles then and laurie said it's so that she could get her finances straight. Uh, there was this weird comment about how Lori told Zulema that she had a spiritual connection with the number 7-Eleven. And it was, <laughs> <laughs> it was July 11th when Charles died. So his death was all orchestrated by God, of course. Um, You're telling me she's not just really into convenience stores? Convenience stores, yeah. Uh, told her that or she told her that she was taking steps to usher in the second coming. And one of those steps was the death of Charles. Uh, she was also told that Chad wanted Lori to move to Rexburg because it was Zion. It would be safe when the other countries invaded and that soldiers and warriors would defend the area and they needed to do missions there. Okay. It's getting wild. Yeah. In September, Zilema went to visit Alex. This is the September that Tylee and JJ go missing. So 2019. Um, she goes to visit Alex and she says she never saw Tylee. She asked where Tylee was, and Lori said she had to be freed. And when Zulema asked what that meant, Lori put her hand in Zulema's face and said, don't ask. Although I do like to imagine she put her hand in Zulema's face and went, talk to the hand because the face don't want to hear about it. Like, super. <laughs> <laughs> she just held up an L to her forehead. Yeah, like, no. Um, she said that prior to the move there, Lori had expressed that Tylee was possessed by the infamous demon Hillary. Um, and that <laughs> JJ was being attacked by demons. Stop laughing. What? This is not funny. <laughs> it's not. But like Hillary, and that's a little funny. Oh, like the names. That's like when someone names like yeah. their dog Paul. Paul. Like, that's a human name. Like, <laughs> like why do you have like? Okay, you have he blows. He blows. Which kind of, which kind of, you know, if you say it correctly, could sound a little weird. Little like otherworldly but then you've got ned and hillary yeah you know those I, names existed yes, thousands in, of years ago in the later documents he blows is actually said hiplos and so it's h-i-p-l-o-s um i don't know if that's a real demon in some latter-day saints lore of some kind lore like it's a fucking made-up universe <laughs> my bad but seriously I mean, like i don't but in it though yeah so uh yeah so tylee's possessed by hillary the demon and jj is possessed or uh, sorry at being attacked by demons she also said that Lori uh sold jj's service dog bailey remember that remember we talked about yeah. that 
that pissed everybody off real good. Um, but she said that she sold JJ's service dog, Bailey, because the demons were going to the dog instead. Like Son of Sam style, okay. Yeah, like demons were possessing the dog. So uh, because Tammy was still alive at this time, she was also lying and sending texts to Chad to um, help Chad. Zulema was lying and sending these texts to Chad to help him be close to Lori. Like, text me and ask me to come speak in an event. And then Zulema would be like, sure. Hey, Chad, it's Zulema. Would you like to come speak at this event in Arizona? And he'd be like, wow, Zulema, thank you so much. I would love to come speak at that event in Arizona sort of deal. Uh, Chad was also aggressive about suggesting that Zulema needed to move to Rexburg as part of the mission to build Zion. Uh, she was unable to move to Idaho because she didn't feel like there would be a, a way for her to make money and take care of her family with her um, prior job field and experience being, you know, all of that was in Arizona for her. <clears throat> and Lori told her not to worry about money because, quote, Melanie has enough money for all of us, meaning her niece, Melanie, the one who was married to Brandon Boudreaux and had just got a huge divorce settlement, like a hundred thousand dollars or several hundred thousand dollars but then in a blessing chad told her that the savior wanted her to move to rexburg and she just you know she wasn't comfortable with that yet and he was like well maybe not now but eventually you all be on the, i don't remember if i told you that they played the blessing of alex did i say that in the last um, one i don't remember maybe i've only written blessing 15 times in this fucking thing Yes, I did. Because I remember saying, uh, <laughs> as he grew in power, you were there beside her. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. So, yeah. So she said that she was there for a blessing of Alex and he was told that he was being forgiven of his sins and he started to weep. In another blessing, she was told that she needed to move to Rexburg and that she would be getting married to someone. Yeah. And she said that when Alex, when she and Alex start, first started to date, they were like, really pushing for her and Alex to get married. The two only shared their first kiss on October 31st and they were engaged by November ugh, November 7th during the next trip to Rexburg. Wow. It was moving very fast. Yeah. She noted that neither Tylee nor JJ were there and Chad and Lori were sending Alex pictures from Hawaii. But when Alex went to visit her in Arizona over Thanksgiving, they stopped talking to him even though he was reaching out to them. He said, according to her, can you believe that they are being such jerks after how much I have helped them and now they don't want to talk to me? You know, that might be for the best, though. What did you help them with, Alex? Um, before Tammy died, she was told that Tammy uh, was possessed by yet another infamous demon, Viola. <laughs> On October 9th, the day that Tammy was shot at with the paintball gun, Melanie Boudreaux slash Pulaski uh, Lori and Zulema were all performing a casting on Tammy. Lori got a call during that casting, and when she answered it, she became angry, scary angry, screaming idiot and moron at whoever was on the phone. Lori then said to Zilemma, idiot can't do anything right by himself. After Tammy's death, Lori said that Chad was going to move in. Zilemma thought, that seems fast, and Lori didn't reply. Then, once they were married, there was they, they had a layover in Phoenix, and they met with Zulema for dinner. And she asked, where's JJ? If they were going to Hawaii, who has JJ? And they said, oh, he's with Kay. And Kay is the one who says that she never had them, right? No, Kay is JJ's grandma. Kay and Larry are the grandparents. Okay. 
Melanie Gibb is the one who Melanie okay. allegedly had him. So I was like, Zuma, I knew someone someone was supposed to have had JJ. Yes. But uh Kay was the one that uh Lori has said is dark and uh you know, she got Charles's life insurance policy, so she's all pissy about that. So Zulema and Alex get married on December 1st. Melanie Gibb called her around this time, worried about the things that are going on, very concerned, very emotional, saying she believed that they had been deceived by Lori and Chad and that she was feeling like they were doing something wrong. Zulema said she was confused by the phone call. To hear my friend saying all of this is happening at the same time knowing how much I trust or how much trust I put into these two people. It was very, very confusing and I was very distraught. She asked Alex about it, but he didn't really answer her and she didn't know where the children were or she didn't even know that the children were considered missing and being looked for by the police until after Alex died on December 12th. Wow. She said Alex was on the phone with Chad and Lori on December 11th, the day before he died, and uh, she heard them speaking about Tammy's body being exhumed. She was confused as to why this would be happening if someone died of natural causes. She asked Alex if he was involved in Tammy's death, but he wouldn't answer her. He was quiet and unresponsive. Finally, he told her, I think I'm being their fall guy. And she was like, uh, (laughs) fall guy for what? (laughs) And again, he didn't really say much to her, but he eventually told her, Zulema, either I am a man of God or I am not. And then he died the next day. Do they know what he died of? Uh, I think it was like a pulmonary embolism. And from what I understand, everybody seems to believe that this may be the one true coincidence of this case. Um, yeah, maybe the stress just... Maybe. Yeah. But the nobody has come out and said like, oh, here are signs of somebody drugging Alex or Alex killed himself. Although there is a lot of speculation that Alex killed himself. Yeah. Um, From the guilt Which... or from whatever. Fear. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, let's see, Alex... He died the next day. So they introduce uh, pages uh, from Zulema's journal as evidence. They go over some of the pages, ask some question about casting out demons. Because, you know, she's written all this down. She's actually, like I said, she's very spiritual. She actually gave a shit about this. Um, Lori and Chad taught that once a demon was removed, there's a two minute window where another demon can come in. She said that the one way to prevent another evil spirit from entering is by binding the body. Another way is by using fire. Oh, good. You recall, JJ was bound with duct. Yep. Tylee, her body was burned in a fire. We seeing a, a connection here. I mean, at least she's consistent. So she also discusses that different people had gifts in casting and hers was evidently elements. Melanie Gibbs was, quote, gathering. Serena was a, a former powerful goddess of some kind. Alex was the warrior, Lori's protector. Um, who would train other warriors in Rexburg, Idaho. Uh, they yes. said, <laughs> it's like, what? Um, yeah, they said once they taught, or they said that they were taught if you were exalted at another probation, when you came to Earth, you had already proven yourself. So you could sin all you want, basically. Lori <laughs> often said, that doesn't count for me. Which, like, great. Uh, Zulema said that she had asked Alex how he felt after killing Charles and his response was he was a zombie she also said that Lori told her she knew she knew that JJ was going to have a very short life and then Chad said JJ would have a very short life because he was going to come right back as Kobe Ryan's child that would be Lori's grandson 
She stated that Alex believed all of this, of course. He believed in everything Lori said and that his mission was to protect her. She said, quote, Alex took his role very serious. Or no, sorry. They asked, Alex took his role very seriously to protect Lori. And Zulema responds, absolutely. <laughs> she did not. She said she just said it like a normal person. But she said it so many times that I that's all I can think of. Gia Gunn on the stand. <laughs> so that have been a very entertaining <laughs> trial. During the crash, John Thomas makes me feel very uncomfortable. Uh, he comments on how the testimony before and after lunch changed drastically. And, you know, she chalked it up to nerves, which totally fair. He asks her about her spirituality and she says she's she had deeply respected Lori because of her visions and witnessing Jesus. And he comments on her own beliefs, I think, like trying to undermine her testimony by saying, look, she's just as crazy as my client, which you now isn't untrue. But she talks about having her own vision of a large table where she saw a man that uh, she called a very light being. And Thomas is kind of a dick. He brings up marriages, a blessing, um, which included a marriage. Wouldn't be a stretch for you. Yuck, yuck. Because she's been married a number of times. Like, it's gross. Don't make fun of people for having multiple marriages. John Thomas, I would like to know your track record, you piece of shit. And like, also, I, I understand, like you said, that the, the point of this is to undermine the witness. But like, there is still a drastic difference between like, oh yeah, I believe this thing that's kind of weird and crazy, and I believe this thing that's kind of weird and crazy, and I also killed my children. There's a big Absolutely. difference between <laughs> someone who's who's violent and crazy and someone who's just, you know, believes yes. something strange. Yes. Because the number of people who followed uh, Jim Jones weren't fucking crazy, or, you know, they believed in something crazy, but they weren't violent people. The ones who were directly underneath him and wanted that power were the violent ones. You yeah. Know? Anyway, yes, this is he. He gets very gross, and I don't like it. I don't like the way he questions people at all. Uh, he asked about casting, and she says uh, no one was ever physically harmed. It was only to bind the spirit. He says, uh, you know, have your have your views changed? And she said there are two children that have died, and a mother of five who have died. I will consider that very evil. Yes, sir. And so, like, clearly she fucking understands that this is not, a, like, a, a happy, fun religion anymore. Yeah. Uh, she's probably still a prepper, which, you know, that's fine. Do, do your thing. Um, <clears throat> but she points out that the work that Chad and Lori did had a direct tie to those deaths. And so, of course, she's not going to follow that religion anymore. Um, he asks Ulema if she is gullible. Do you think you're gullible? And she tells him that she believes in the goodness of people. And she tries to believe that their intentions are always good, uh, but had become more cautious since meeting Chad and Lori. That's fair. The blessing Chad gave her felt very personal and made her feel very special. She often texted him about spiritual things. She had faith in him that what he told her was true. She no longer believes that Chad and Lori have the authority to cast out evil spirits, but believes that it can be done because Jesus did it when he was alive, according to the Bible. The entire goal of casting was to cast out and banish an evil spirit, not to hurt a person. So court adjourned for the day with more cross-examination taking place on day 11, which I called Chuckles the Defense Attorney because holy shit, I hate this guy so much. <laughs> so... <laughs> I like that you gave your, your chapters titles. <laughs> I think I don't think I did them all, but I really tried. Thomas asks about Zulema's romance with Alex, asks when they were married. She tells him that she cannot remember the exact date right now. He's like, oh, 
like, why? You don't remember your wedding day? And she said that she had too much trauma that was associated with that time of her life. And it was very hard for her to remember, especially the things she would like to forget. Um, He asked, well, what events are you referring to that describe going, you know, or like that would make you want to forget your wedding day? And so she describes going to work on the morning of December 12th. Her husband was fine when she left her home. And when she came back, he was on the bathroom floor dead. Paramedics tried to revive him. They went to the hospital and she had to be the one to give the okay to turn the machines off. And she's in tears while she tells this motherfucker, that is very traumatic, sir. He suggests, yeah. he he comes back and says like, well, you didn't know him that long or spend that much time with him. And so maybe you didn't know him as well as you thought you did. Maybe he wouldn't do anything for Lori. And she says, uh, well, whenever he wanted to do anything, he had to have Lori or Chad's permission. After we got married, we were talking about how we would be living. I told him I would not be moving to Rexburg. My family, my life was all in Arizona. He was living in Rexburg. So we were discussing what we were going to do. And he said, well, before I could make any decisions, I need to ask Chad and Lori what I should do. And Thomas says, well, was he asking for advice? And Zulema says, I would call it direction, sir. Yeah, permission. Yeah. <laughs> they bring up some text messages where Chad seems to indicate that it's okay that she doesn't want to move to Rexburg, um, but she repeats that he repeatedly said that she would end up there eventually with his blessings. Uh, he ends up being really shitty about it. So, so the Lord told you to move to Rexburg, not Chad and Lori? And she's trying to tell him yes, but Chad and Lori were pushing her in that direction constantly. So she's basically insinuating she believed that the Lord told her that because she kept getting pressured by the people that she because thought of she as, believed she yeah. believed Chad and Lori were actually right giving her guidance from God, not and that so, God was specifically reaching out to tell her himself themselves whatever right, but that it was using Chad as a vessel to explain to her, "I want you to go here and do this." So while she's trying and to say she, this believed him right you know while she's trying to say this he keeps cutting her off and going yes or no yes or no yes or no and she has to be like yes because yes so he asked if she prayed about it she said yes and yes or no the lord told you eventually that you would go to rexburg and she said yes so it wasn't chad and Lori telling you to go to rexburg yes sir they were in every blessing they gave me <laughs> it's like leave this poor woman alone <laughs> He continued asking questions about her involvement and and the belief in the teachings, asking for a portal in her home. She apparently asked for a portal in her home. She ends up basically saying, I had faith that they were telling us the truth again, something like that. And the last blow is when Thomas asked about a divine experience Zulema had where she, quote, saw Heavenly Father, Heavenly Mother, Jesus and her eternal husband. He asks if she can recall what happened that day. And she said she did not. And he starts laughing. He goes, <laughs> you saw Heavenly Father, Heavenly Mother, Jesus in the temple, but you don't know what happened? And she starts to answer. She like, she pauses. She's like, eh, but, and then he goes, I'll withdraw the question, Your Honor. No further questions. And I was like, this is the day. This is the day that Jim Archibald is no longer my arch nemesis. And it is now John Thomas. <laughs> I was so mad at this dude, man. I was like. I want to side with the defense so bad, but you guys are such pieces of shit right now. <sighs> okay, that was <laughs> that was a lot. So in redirect, Smith starts by asking Zulema if she needs a moment, but she declines. She she's obviously very emotional by literally being, you know, 
pummeled by this fucking defense attorney. Smith basically follows up to some of the religious stuff, how it all circled around to how manipulative Lori and Chad were. They both called her a goddess, for instance, and repeated that she was on an important mission. Like Chad and Lori called Zilemma a goddess is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, they made people feel special, especially in regard to faith. Like they were powerful and important, like telling Alex he was a fucking angel and that he had unmasked Satan in one of his probations. Um, he left his job and his belongings to move to um, fucking Idaho with Lori. People wanted to believe. And so they did. Yeah. The everybody end. wants to believe that they're special. Exactly. Uh, so the next witness to come onto the stand was Lori's living son, Colby Ryan. Nate Eaton notes that Lori is staring at Kobe as he goes on to the stand and he doesn't seem to want to be looking at her. Uh, He's yeah. He's already in tears as he is asked to identify a photo of Tylee and JJ. They actually didn't ask a whole lot of Kobe because just confirming, you know, they're like confirming you received money from Tylee. Uh, and then she stopped messaging him why he was concerned, all that sort of stuff. They asked him when he was contacted by police and how he tried to get a hold of his mother, uh, but was never given any information. She didn't even tell him that she had moved or where she was or that, it, you know, she would only say things like, oh, it's cold. It would be dangerous for you to know where I am. That sort of thing. She's in Hawaii. It's not cold. Piece of shit. Uh, so then he was no longer able to contact her because her phone was disconnected. He continues to not look at her while she's on the stand, by the way. And she's apparently uh, going for tissues and whispering to her attorneys before it's his turn to question. And, um, I don't know what, you know, what she's saying to him, but I don't know if it was like, go easy on him or, hey, fuck that kid. Fuck him up. <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, Nate Eaton didn't have any like good... Uh, visual of her but chanley painter with court tv said she did not see tears um when archibald did do the cross he's basically just asking kobe as a character witness for Lori, getting him to say that he never knew about the other lives or probations that she hadn't tried to convert him into this new church of the firstborn or whatever her new religion was called that sort of thing he also tries to talk about the abuse that kobe faced um and the depression that he went through and asked if he felt like his mother protected him and encouraged his feelings of self-worth Several of these questions were objected by the state for the relevancy and the number of times Kobe answered uh, were, there were, I'm sorry, there were a number of times that Kobe's answers were struck from the record. And then the only thing I thought uh, was significant enough to write down from the cross was that Kobe was the only person listed on the beneficiary of Lori's life insurance policy, even though she till she technically still had two living children other than Kobe. She had a $2 million life insurance policy and he was the only one named. Hmm. Yeah. So then there was a phone call that was played between Kobe and Lori from jail that had previously been submitted to evidence, but it was, it was finally played and it is rough. Um, I know I shared the one with Summer, her sister in the discord, but this one was also very rough. And like one of his first, the one of the first things he says to her is you think you can hide from me? And you're like, I, we are in for it and I'm thrilled to be here. <laughs> um, Lori says she isn't hiding, uh, but that he hadn't wanted to speak to her or something like that. And he instantly responds with, probably because you murdered my siblings. And the whole call is basically his accusations of her, why she did this. And he arg- she argues that he wasn't there. He doesn't know. He accuses her of playing the victim, how she's been lying to him, getting the text messages, quote, from Tylee, um, who was already dead. 
and she, he says to her, you tell me right now that Jesus Christ, the savior of the world is on your side. You tell me that with all the conviction of your heart that Jesus Christ is on your side right now, please. And Lori is like, I can tell you that in kind of this like weird flip it, flippant way, um, which causes another outburst from Kobe because he's like reading through it now. And he tells her that she will be judged by Jesus and she laughs at him and tells him that Tylee and JJ know what happened, no one else, and that they love her and they are fine. Yeah. She's like, wah, wah, nobody understands me. And he tells her she can't lie to him or hide anymore and that he intends to pray for her. Again, you can hear that whole car, whole car, whole call online um, if you'd like to listen to it. It is, it is a pretty devastating to hear him screaming at her to like swear on jesus christ that she's not lying to him and then she does and straight up lies to him so fun times fun times so next up (laughs) next up was agent mark sorry from the social security administration he basically just confirms that Lori is a fucking thief and that she was essentially stealing nearly six thousand dollars a month from social security there wasn't a cross-examination because there wasn't anything to say because I got the receipts, bitch. Like, yeah, facts. <laughs> yeah. This is fact. Um, the state called Detective Chuck Concitus. I always struggle with that guy's name. Uh, he's from the Rexburg Police. He gave. He was given this giant stack of documents that was submitted to evidence, like thirty plus documents, some with multiple parts. And this guy was the one who looked into the financial records. Uh, he served warrants to a list of almost a dozen financial institutions. The evidence shows that all of or how all of this money was being spent. Lori making the request to get Tylee's money into her own account because the kids got Social Security from their dead parents. Joe Ryan was killed or sorry, sorry Joe Ryan died of a quote heart attack. And so Tylee was getting like $1,900 a month from Joe Ryan's Social Security. JG's father was killed. He was getting like $1,900 a month for Charles Fallow's Social Security. And then Lori was getting what is called like a mother's in need sort of Social Security thing. I don't remember exactly what it was, but she was getting basically another two grand in Social Security. She was getting almost $6,000 a month, um, which like the dream, right? Yeah. <laughs> what I would do I mean, with $6,000 a probably, month. Probably without killing people. Without killing be. children would be excellent. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so she's while Tylee was alive, she was basically stealing her, her money. Because it showed that most of Tylee's purchases before were like brick and mortar stores. But after September 1st, they switched to almost entirely online purchases. You know, she's a teenage girl. She's going to the mall. She was going to McDonald's. She was going to 7-Eleven, doing all the like beep bop it around and getting your shit. Yeah. Wherever you're going. Um, There was also a comment that the money was coming into Tylee's account from Lori's account was immediately sent from Venmo to Kobe Ryan. Sorry. He said that there were 29 deposits into Tylee's account from Lori's account, and then the money was immediately turned around and sent to Kobe on so- sometime on the same day. Um, essentially, she was trying to make it look like Tylee was transferring this money. Uh, so then they go to Alex's account. Alex evidently took out a loan for $21,000 for, quote, medical expenses in August of 2019, right before he moved to Rexburg. The police never found proof that Alex was experiencing any medical issues or any significant medical expenses between the time of the loan and the time he died. So he quit his job. He moved to Idaho on September 1st and had no other income after that and was just living off this $21,000. His account showed that between August 10th and October 24th, he made 46 gun-related purchases. Uh, And they started going over Chad's accounts as well. And that was it for the day. 
So that leads us to day 12, which I titled Not the Actor. You will find out why. Okay. <laughs> You'll start to notice here that a lot of the next day or two is just basically just confirmation of the shit we already know. So some of this should be pretty brief compared to the last episode. Um, uh, Concitus is back on the stand. The police evidently seized Tylee's Jeep after the Brandon Boudreau incident. Uh, but weirdly, after it was seized, nobody ever reported it stolen or missing. Sorry, I need water. No, you're fine. So, like, the the car got impounded, basically, yeah. and then no one noticed it was gone somehow. Either nobody noticed it was gone or nobody wanted to call in and be like, hey, where's my Jeep? To the police. Yeah. yeah so. Like like a kid who whose car went missing would do. Yeah. If they, you know, were above ground. Yeah. Uh, they noted the fact that none of JJ's meds had been getting filled. The police, uh, the police, oh my god, the police files, um, they had, um, pharmaceutical searches in Arizona, Hawaii, Montana, and Idaho. And you may be thinking, why Montana? Because I was, he didn't live in Montana, but it turns out the police got a tip early on that the kids might be, um, being held in Montana in like a compound or something. So officers followed up on the tip and they searched multiple names, JJ Vallow, JJ Ryan, Tylee Ryan, Melanie Boudreaux, Lori Vallow, like trying to find any evidence of the meds that these two kids were taking or JJ specifically, but no records of any prescriptions being filled for JJ in any of those days or any of those states during 2019, though he had said Arizona only tracks opioid based drugs. So there might have been something filled for him before they moved. And uh, it just didn't get tracked because it wasn't an opioid. Lots of flight records, online shopping invoices. This this was a boring day. Um, There was no cross. (laughs) uh, But the state said that uh, Detective Concitus might be called back again. He was later. And we'll get there. Um, They call. (laughs) This is it. They call Michael Douglas to the stand. (laughs) Renowned actor Michael Douglas. Mike Douglas, two S's. The forensic accountant with the FBI, not the actor. Also, just for fun, Tammy Daybell also has a brother named Michael Douglas. He is also not the actor. That's an important <laughs> distinction. So, Can you imagine that? <laughs> right? Like Tammy Daybell's brother, Michael Douglas. He gets all pissed. Like the Michael up. Douglas. Is that the one married to Catherine Zeta-Jones? I believe he is. So they go over more uh, financial records. They talk about the different life insurance policy. Tammy's life insurance increased around, or that she requested it, quote, she uh, it was requested around September 8th, a little over a month before she died. And remember how I said Lori had a million dollar life insurance policy or whatever with Kobe as the beneficiary? Yeah. Yeah. Two million dollars. Where is she getting the money to pay for that? Oh, from her kids stolen social security. Yeah. That's, that's what it so JJ's social security fund started getting paid into Lori's account in September of 2019. Conveniently, the month he goes missing, uh, he discovered um, a number of flight purchases made with Lori's accounts for Chad and purchases like a phone that happened to come in on the same day Lori got social security money. Alex purchased uh, flights for Chad. Chad filled out his insurance paperwork just days after Tammy died and then took the ba- the whole family on a trip to Knott's Berry Farm. Like, hey, your mom's dead. Let's go have a great time at Knott's Berry Farm. Uh, and also, fun side note, the morning that police were searching Chad's property, Chad transferred $8,000 from his bank account to the three of his children. So, not like anything suspicious is happening. No cross. Again, state could ask him back on a previous day, but this uh, my, Mr. Michael Douglas is no longer on the stand. 
Uh, state calls uh, Scott Cowden, fire engineer and paramedic for the Chandler Fire Department in Arizona. Here's where I started to get really annoyed at all the, par- the Arizona people coming in. He was one of the paramedics who showed up when Charles had been shot. Um, Archibald objects to having a witness questioned. He says the client is not on trial for Id- or for anything in Arizona, um, so this shouldn't count. The Like I said, we've already talked about this. Um, from detective duncan on day nine and it was overruled so he gets to come on and testify and he tells the state that alex cox had indicated that he had performed cprs on on charles uh the lie detector to test (laughs) i think i'm getting tired can you tell let me start that again he tells the state that alex cox (laughs) (laughs) really that that one's staying in yeah Alex Cox had indicated that uh, he had performed CPR on Charles and the lie detector test determined that is uh, Charles's chest determined that was a lie. Cowden yeah, is not only if you're if you're doing CPR, there's definitely visible yeah. evidence that CPR was done. Yeah. And Cowden is not only a paramedic, but also a CPR instructor. So basically, if Alex had performed CPR, there would have been injuries or an impression on Charles's chest and uh, there wasn't when he started doing compressions he felt what was likely the cracking of a rib or sternum which happens if you're compressing hard enough to be effective he said that he hadn't expected to feel that crunch because he was told by someone that Alex had already done CPR yeah, once he so stopped should have already been broken oh yeah 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 uh, so once he stopped there was blood on his gloves if someone had done CPR before there would have been blood on their hands too Archibald has objected to the entirety of his testimony, so he has no cross. Um, then we have Detective Ariel Werther from Chandler, who also is called to take stand. Archibald objects again. It's overruled again. They discuss that Lori had made a stop with JJ the morning Charles was shot and that she hadn't told police about it. Uh, she actually stopped at a Walgreens and bought JJ flip-flops because he left without shoes for some reason. Why would that be, I wonder? It turns out Alex and Lori did lie about the timeline that went on that morning. And I know you are so shocked to hear it because like the 911 call comes in at 836. Lori was in the Burger King drive through at 750. So it's all screwy. She's telling them that. And then like she shows up 10 minutes after the 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 ambulance or the the 911 call. And based on what she told them, like there was no way for her to get back in time. Yeah. So this one basically just confirms that she's a lying bitch. Anyway, Detective Sandra Inklin with the Chandler Police Department was called next. Archibald objects, blah, blah, blah. Inklin spoke uh, with Lori entirely. She described Lori as, quote, she appeared calm and not very non-emotional. She was not really upset. And at one point she was laughing. I think we talked about how in the car in the first episode that Lori was chatting with Tylee about college she brings this up. She says uh, she was almost nonchalant about the conversation. They've gone over that Lori told the Chandler police. So I don't feel like I need to go over that again. But again, that's what England is talking about. And if you want, you can watch the interview that she has with Lori online as well. It's basically Lori trying to tell her what a shitty dad Charles was and that she's just going to leave JJ with Charles and quote, he'll see how hard it is. Yeah. So during cross, Archibald asked if there uh, is a correct or incorrect way to act, quote, when your estranged husband is shot. And England says she isn't sure if there's a correct way to react to any death, but it left an impression on her that Lori had almost no emotion at all. Yeah, that, like, even yeah. if I didn't know somebody, if I can't, like, if I came upon someone who was dead or, oh, like, yeah. the the situation, like, if so the situation when, was dead, like, 
Mikey the situation <laughs> or whatever his name is from I mean if I saw it happen sure it would be upsetting but like yeah but like I remember when we were living in the apartment my downstairs neighbor's wife passed away like mm. in the house very suddenly and I barely knew them. I don't even think I knew their first... Like, I had made up names for them. I didn't even know their first names or their last names. And just hearing him go through and, like, see her body being removed and just hearing him screaming and sob... Like, there's no way to not be moved by that. Yeah. And, like, if you have empathy, you know, (laughs) like... (laughs) Empathy. Never heard of her. And, like, that's someone, like, like I said, I barely knew them, you know? Like, yeah. and it was still heartbreaking. Yep, it rough. Oh, anyway, rest in peace, Mike the Situation Sorrentino. Wait, is he actually dead? No, he is not. Absolutely okay. not. <laughs> it's just like, damn, did we make a really bad off-color joke there? Oh, uh, man. I mean, every joke I make is off-color because I laugh in the face of death. Uh, really, anyway. really insensitive to our juice heads out there <laughs> jim tan laundry <laughs> so that afternoon april raymond a friend of Lori's, was called to the stand it was noted that she was not really interested in looking at Lori, but Lori was looking at her basically april became friends with Lori through the lds church in hawaii when she moved there with charles in 2016 their families became friendly their children spent time together they celebrated holidays together and and you know then Lori got all crazy so Uh, She got a call from Lori in February 2019, and she said she was leaving Charles because he was cheating and that she was, quote, done with JJ, which she interpreted as in, in the divorce, Lori would take Tylee and Charles would take JJ. And then April heard about how Charles was dead and that a demon had taken over his body, and Lori said that she knew this because he was shorter now. Oh, and by the way, I'm supposed to lead the 144,000 from uh, Revelations. Yeah, that too. So April said that she had lunch with Lori and Melanie Gibb and they tried to convince her to abandon her children and join the mission, saying that she had, quote, fulfilled her role to their uh, in their lives. You fulfilled your role to your children. You need to come be with Jesus now. Uh, and then in the cross, she tells Archibald that she felt like the two women were subtly grooming her, trying to gauge her interest, but that they felt they were ultimately or she felt that they were ultimately trying to get her to join. Uh, she clearly well, yeah. was not having it. I mean, what is a religion without people to blindly follow you? That's correct. It's like the whole point. I have day 13, 420, baby. Because it was April 20th. Bah, 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 bah. Uh, this is directly from Nate Eaton's notes that I used to follow along with the podcast that I listened to from Court TV. He said, Bailiff asks, uh, <laughs> Bailiff asks spectators to save whispering for breaks and minimize candy wrapping crinkling. Candy wrapper crinkling. Quote, if you have a lifesaver fetish, please open your candy now. Damn. <laughs> this bailiff, I feel like I wish I was there because he seemed like a dope dude. Um, so to the d- d- buh- buh, 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 to the defense's delight, today started with yet another testimony from Arizona. Uh, Sergeant <laughs> Nathan Moffitt from the Chandler Police uh, had been the original lead detective on the Charles Vallow case before his promotion. Yes, both lead detectives on this case were named Nathan. We had Nathan Duncan last time, and now we have Nathan Moffat, and we have Nate Eaton doing the reporting. He wore a a suit with a purple shirt and tie. Just FYI. And as always... Relevancy. Yes. (laughs) As always, Archibald objects. Uh, To the purple tie. The the matching tie-shirt combo. Not fashionable. It's a crime against fashion. It's a kind of fashion, yes. 
Uh, so we hear the story of the 911 call, uh, Charles Vallow shooting all over again. Interesting notes from his testimony include that he remembered Charles, um, I'm sorry, remember, I'm telling you to remember, that Charles was a former minor league baseball player who has frequently been described as being in great shape, allegedly hitting Alex in the back of the head with a baseball bat. And Moffat confirmed that he observed a laceration on the back of Alex's head, but quote, it wasn't consistent with being hit extremely hard at the back of the head with a baseball bat by an athletic man. Shocking. Uh, he testified that Alex said he had spent that night at Lori's house because they planned on doing something the next day. I'll say they were planning on doing something the next day. After hearing that Lori did tell Detective England that Alex had come over to protect her, he was questioning Alex and asked if that was why he came over to Lori's. And Alex said, no, we just had something planned to do today. Killing some kids. I mean, taking some care of some kids. I mean, definitely not doing anything with kids. Killing Charles Vallow, for sure. So uh, he also confirmed that the second shot bullet wound was consistent with um, Charles being flat on the floor when he was shot, which did not match up with Alex's version of events. And according to Moffat, after they learned about the $1 million life insurance policy, they did some inquiring to the insurance company. And uh, you remember, remember in the Melanie Gibb uh, testimony where it was like claimed that Lori already knew. So we know that Lori had um, been taken off the insurance policy, uh, switched to K. And according to Melanie Gibbs testimony, Lori knew this ahead of time. However, when Moffitt contacted the insurance company on July 17th, he learned that Lori had tried to file a claim and was denied. So Boyce asked if Archibald wants to cross. Archibald said, I hate it here. And he didn't cross. <laughs> Did he actually say I No, he absolutely did not, but I would love it if he did. (laughs) I was about to say, whoa. This this trial was really (laughs) off the rails. (laughs) The bailiff talking about freaking lifesaver fetishes. Oh, man. The state calls the next witness, which is Sydney Schenk, who had been hired to be JJ's nanny, but only got to babysit him one time on September 19th, 2019. She was a student at... uh, Brigham Young University, Idaho, Rexburg, uh, where Lori claimed that Tylee was going, but Lori, of course, didn't say anything to Sydney about that. During the interview, Lori told Sydney that JJ's dad had recently died of a, quote, heart attack and that he was having a hard time understanding what was going on. The 19th did not go well for Sydney. JJ got in a little fight with one of his friends, got upset to the point where he was throwing things around. She said that he threw an ottoman and a chair. Um, And while she tried to calm him down, he ended up going to his room where she had hoped he would calm down on his own, but that he did not. Lori came home and ended up taking care of it, uh, paid Sydney in cash, and she never saw JJ again. She had been under the... And remind me, JJ was autistic? Yes, he was diagnosed with at least autism. It's said that he's special needs, but it's not... Nobody ever goes in to say if it's just special needs with the autism or if there are additional issues. Okay. Anyway, so yeah, she she had been under the impression that this would be a long-term gig. So she followed up with Lori and Lori was like, oh, he went to stay with his grandparents for a month. I'll get back to you. And then she never heard from Lori again either. Uh, During Cross, Archibald asked questions, basically trying to suggest that Lori had hired a nanny because she wanted a long-term thing, like trying to lay foundation that this was not premeditated, I mean, I guess. Uh, Then the state calls Dr. Joshua Wilson, principal of the school JJ went to where JJ was enrolled from September 3rd through September 24th. The last day he was seen at school was September 20th. The school got an email on the 24th saying that JJ would no longer be attending the school and that he was moving to Louisiana to be homeschooled with his cousin who had similar needs by their grandmother, meaning Kay. 
Wilson offered to forward the records to any public school if necessary, but no request ever came. And in Cross, Archibald went back to basically that same argument of, well, you know, if you enroll somebody in a school, you expect them to be enrolled longer than three weeks. And Wilson confirmed he anticipated JJ being enrolled long term. That doesn't mean shit, my dude. Anyway, after that was Wynn Hill. He's the dean of students from BYU-Idaho. Uh, police had asked Hill to check for a Tylee Ryan, Tylee Cox, Tylee Vallow in the SIPs in the system and found that Tylee never applied nor attended the university and there was no cross-examination. So then we get to David Warwick. He's an interesting fella. He's Melanie Gibbs' husband, the boyfriend who had the bad dream at Lori's house, you might remember from last week. Uh, and he is coming up to testify, except for that... Um, well, I, I did. I, I did also mention he he testified at Chad's preliminary and in the grand jury proceedings. And if you listen to that secret phone call between Melanie Gibb, she references David a lot. And she says that he's a righteous man and all this. That's this David. But yeah. Okay. So he's he's a thorough idiot, though. Uh, he violated the exclusionary <laughs> rule uh, by listening to some of his wife's testimony. He's a thorough idiot. <laughs> What an uh, what an insult! He like you. If you are coming to be a witness on a trial, you're not supposed to listen to another witness testimony so that you don't shape your testimony around what that witness said. Yeah, he straight up listened to her testimony, <laughs> um, and so he violated the exclusionary rule. Um, they start to question him to make sure he's actually capable of giving an impartial testimony. Uh, the couple lives apart. She lives in Arizona and he lives in Utah due to some family needs. And he was sick for two weeks prior to his testimony. So he said that he wanted to hear the sound of her voice. He was supposed to meet her in Idaho for her testimony, but couldn't make it because he was ill. And my God, listening to this guy testify, he sounds like he's on fucking COVID. Like he, like he's on, he's on the stand like wheezing basically it's terrible poor guy but yeah so he wanted to hear the sound of her voice to make sure that she sounded okay he wasn't trying to learn anything but it did um he did turn it off immediately once he remembered he wasn't supposed to be listening um he does sound like again i wrote he does sound terribly sick when you hear him um so i can kind of like if you're real if you are that sick you ain't thinking straight yeah then i can see like you know, it's like that moment when, like, you're so sick and, like, all you want is your parent. And then you're yes. like, wait a second. I'm 34. My parents not going to come help me. <laughs> like, <No. laughs> yep. I mean, super not going to come help us. <laughs> yeah. We're both fucked for various reasons. Uh, well, three out of four same reasons. <laughs> uh, anyway. Anyway. Yeah. So um, where, where, where did I leave off? Thorough idiot. Yeah. 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 Uh, he also read two articles. I want to just start calling people a thorough idiot. <laughs> he also read two articles about Melanie and an article about the marriage of Zilema and Alex. So there's some incredible back and forth here. Archibald is rightfully pissed. And he was like, hey, this dude violated the court rules. They, he should be excluded completely from testifying. Smith says, the court should consider whether any harm has been done to his testimony. He was a sick man, worried about his wife. He told the prosecution right away when he realized he fucked up. He's been cooperating with the fuzz. Uh, he testified previously. He's been forthcoming. It was not a willful violation of the court order. Archibald yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't sound like he, like, if you're trying to hide something, you wouldn't tell the people who had yeah, no yeah, way yeah. of knowing that you did it. But Archibald right? is like... like Archibald says, hey, there's a reason we have rules. We don't just say, golly gee, made a mistake. My bad. No harm, no foul. Which <laughs> is also those, fair. Those are his words. Um, exactly. Yeah. 
he said, no, those are genuinely his words. Oh. Yeah, he literally said that. He said, <laughs> quote, golly gee, made a mistake. My bad. No harm, no foul. He's accessing information on the internet he knows he's not supposed to. His motivation is irrelevant. He purposefully accessed it and he purposefully listened to it. Not only that, accessed another article regarding other people that have testified in this case. There is a rule. There's a reason we have a rule and it's to protect the integrity of the court. I mean, That's that just, is very fair. Super fair. Uh, Boyce didn't think holding Warwick in contempt of court was an appropriate response, which is apparently one of the options you can cause, you can like have for violating the exclusionary rule. So he didn't get held in contempt. And it was decided that he could testify, but the judge, um, Judge Boyce said that um, because the conduct was, he believed was willful and the defense um, would then be allowed to liberally comment on his credibility in front of the jury. So that is on record. Um, so... David talks about meeting Lori, about how um, Chad, apparently, when they met Melanie, about uh, when he met Melanie, about his faith, normal stuff. Chad, apparently, at some point, approached him about wanting to write a book together, and he felt like he had no interest in writing a book with Chad. So, like, right out of the gate, I'm like, all right, this guy. <laughs> this guy knows what's up. Uh, he mentioned that he also has a son with special needs. He has a son with Down syndrome. Uh, so when he met JJ, when they were there in September, he tried to interact and play with him. But JJ just acted like he wasn't there. Uh, he spoke about Chad sort of preaching their teachings at him and he didn't believe in it. He believed in the LDS faith and the return of Christ coming like soon. But he didn't believe that Chad and Lori would be involved, nor that he was one of the 144,000. He claimed to have told Chad that only could happen through the prophet that is the president of the lds church russell m nelson so he noted <clears throat> he's like basically telling chad yeah that's gonna happen but it ain't you bud or maybe i should like it ain't you bub and now he looks like wolverine in my head <laughs> yeah but it sounds like this guy's got a a good head on his shoulders for being a thorough for, idiot yeah for being a thorough lds idiot <laughs> so he noted that the that chad and Lori were very affectionate and he said that he knew that chad was still married to tammy so he said that he asked chad about tammy and whether or not she was a good wife and chad agreed that she was she was a good wife he had no complaints but quote her time was coming up and that he and Lori were going to quote do the things they needed to do for god uh, so he told david about uh, a dream he had where tammy was going to die before the time that chad was 50 uh it's gross man uh, it's like one of those moments like guys if you hear someone saying shit like this let people know like don't See just something, be like say something don't just be like they're they're never gonna do something they're crazy but they're not violent don't take that risk yeah don't, don't don't take that chance don't put that guilt on yourself when it when it happens you don't know what they're capable of especially someone you just met yeah uh so yeah, Alex was babysitting JJ on the night of September 22nd. I think I mentioned that with Melanie Gibb. Uh, so David, Melanie, and Lori were doing their little their little podcast, just like us. Um, no, except not just for, like us. Except for terrible. Or worse, rather, I should say. Ooh, burn. <laughs> burn us. Anyway, so sometime that night, he heard the front door open and saw Alex carrying a sleeping JJ upstairs to be put to bed. David Right, had, I remember this. Yes. David had a bad dream that night, quote, one of the worst nightmares of my life. It was very real, um, but he didn't get specific as to what it was about. When they left the next morning, he asked where JJ was because he wanted to say goodbye. Again, he felt a sort of connection because he also had a son with special needs. He just wanted to say goodbye to JJ. And well, and JJ told... probably reminded him of his own child. Yeah. And it was just like, you know. 
Uh, so Lori I told know him, it's important to him for me to say goodbye, so. Yeah. Well, I thought that was very nice that, like, these are two very different, you know, things, Down syndrome and autism, uh, but that he would be considered enough to say, hey, basically a stranger, I would like to say goodbye to your son. Like, that seems like yeah. a nice thing. But Lori told him that JJ had an episode where he was, quote, crawling all over the counters, up on top of the fridge, even onto the upper cabinets, and knocked down her picture of Christ. So she had called Alex to come and get him. David noticed that he did not see any sign of damage to the cabinets. No scuffs on the stainless steel fridge. Nothing like that. He offered to give JJ a blessing, but he had already gone with Alex, and he never saw JJ again. The cross-exam was a lot of questions angled at placing doubt on the credibility of the testimony because, of course, it was. He fucking broke the exclusionary rule. Um, He asked about some of the alleged visions David had, like how the U.S. would be invaded by Russia and China and defeated in three days, that kind of thing. Shit that David has talked about on various podcasts and also sounds just as batshit. Uh, after that was Detective Bruce Mattingly from the Fremont County Sheriff's Office. He testified that he had seized electronic items from the investigation or for the investigation and that he took those items to the FBI from Intermountain West Computer Forensic Laboratory. That's a mouthful. Yeah, that is a mouthful. Then they bring up FBI intelligence analyst Benjamin Dean. And he testifies that he was brought on to review some of the evidence from the case, including tips that came in after the public was asked for photos from Yellowstone on September 9th, as well as some data from the electronics that had been seized, uh, specifically Tammy's cell phone. He brings up a text from Chad to Tammy about the burning of the limb debris by the fire pit and shooting and burying a raccoon. We talked about that in the episode 123, I believe. Yeah. Uh, He tells the court that this text stood out to him because of the time of the text which was in the morning of september 9th when the last known time tylee had been seen alive was the day before they were not big texters their texts were normally short and to the point like do you need anything for the grocery store no okay like they didn't spend they didn't do you and me where we text each other all fucking day long with large narratives at some points like this yeah was, they were not into that it's probably because he was cheating on her but that's neither here nor there um but he said this message appeared to be the first and only time wherein Chad texted Tammy a rather detailed step-by-step explanation of his day's events in any sort of narrative style. So yeah, it stuck out to him. Rexburg yeah, Police I mean, detect- that definitely would. That makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Rexburg Police Detective Sergeant David Stubbs was called next. That just sounds like a fake police <laughs> officer from like a movie or something. <laughs> police uh, Academy. Yeah. A bunch more exhibits are admitted. They asked about his part in the investigation. They actually play his body cam footage from when he visited uh, Lori Vallow while they were trying to perform the welfare check on JJ. And in the video, she tells him JJ's in Arizona with her friend Melanie. But she hasn't told anybody where she is because one of her brothers, not Alex, is trying to kill her for her $2 million life insurance policy. And she tells him that uh, a lot has been going on this past year. Her daughter is attending Brigham Young University in Idaho. Uh, She tells them about how horrible her ex was and that he left nothing for her and his children and left everything to his sister. And now Kay is trying to fight her for custody. Uh, My favorite part was when they tell her that some detectives were around earlier and met two guys and they asked who they were. And she tells them that was her brother and his friend, his friend being chad daybell of course and when she identified that it was chad daybell the detective says didn't his wife pass away recently and Lori says nothing of course not so stubbs not only had 
uh, been on surveillance and seen Chad and Lori canoodling outside of the Hobby Lobby. But <laughs> the police were also aware at this point that the two were already married. So they knew that she was lying. Uh, and at this point, they go back to the apartment after they get no antsy. Antsy? No answer from Melanie Gibb and serve a no-knock warrant. Uh, the second body cam video was of them going through the townhouse, which is basically abandoned, as I previously mentioned. So that's fun. Uh, he was back on the stand on day 14, which I didn't give a fun name, but I'm going to call it Stubbs is back on the stand because Stubbs is a great name. He goes through the 20-something search warrants that were issued on Lori, Chad, Alex, and Tylee's electronics to try to locate where they were uh, after they went missing uh, or went hide into hiding, I should say, in Hawaii, doing a tap and trace, getting geolocation data from their cell phones. They discovered Alex happened to be in the area where the bodies were buried on the 9th and the 23rd. Hmm. Suspicious. Suspicious. Don't be suspicious. Uh, I don't think yeah. they ever heard that song. No, clearly. There were Google searches, like how to remove the backseat from my Jeep Wrangler just before the attempted shooting of Fannin Brujeau. Um, there were if wedding... I were to need to <laughs> uh, there... relocate a, a human-sized object, yes, into the back of my how, how would how would dear, one do this, dear Reddit? Yes, r slash fit body-sized item <laughs> in the back of my Jeep. R slash Jeep Wrangler. R slash Jeep fans. Yeah. Uh, there were also wedding dress searches on the day of Tammy's fucking funeral, which is gross and real fucking sus. At one point, the defense was like, I'm going to object to, uh, uh, I'm not going to object. <laughs> like, that's a real quote. That's a real quote from this trial. Uh, not super interesting during cross or redirect either. So next was Nicole Heidman from the FBI. They go over some more Google searches from Chad's account. Death of Ned Schneider. Ned Schneider, Louisiana, obituary, 1997. Weird shit that's being searched. Uh, if certain star signs were compatible, uh, Cancer and Leo, or Lori and Chad, or uh, May 4 sign, which was Tammy's birthday, and Taurus and Leo compatible, uh, and Chad. Uh, they searched for Hiplos and Mal uh, Malachite jewelry from May. She was looking at fucking wedding rings in May. Wow. Oh. So anyway, uh, <laughs> then searched two days prior to Charles's murder. When you surprise someone with accusations. What? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, and then on September 8th, the day prior to what we assume is Tylee's death, uh, Ch uh, Chad searched for South Southwest wind. Why would you need to know where the wind's blowing, Chad? Yeah, you definitely weren't building a fire. Yep. For um, any discernible reason. So there's some searches from Lori's accounts. Uh, Gerber life policy, life insurance for children, how to sell a service dog. In Ma in <coughs> August, she was also searching for Malachite wedding bands, while Tammy is definitely super still alive. Uh, September 20th and 24th, somebody looked up the phone number to the elementary school that JJ was unenrolled from. Uh, there was also a search for backseat of Jeep removal. Then uh, one of the ones that really got me was the day that Brandon Boudreaux was shot at. There were a bunch of searches for Gilbert, Arizona News, which is where he lived and was shot at. Uh, just a side note, there had to be over 20 phone numbers involved with this case. Like, these people had so many burners and code names for each other. It was absolutely fucking bonkers. Um, this lady's testimony said Chad had, like, nine numbers. Lori and Alex each had six or something like that. 
it's wilding out here. Um, on July 22nd, 2019, Chad and Lori texted each other regarding Kauai and the plan. Quote, the plan. That is, the plan <laughs> to be in Hawaii together. Yeah, the plan. DM, DM, DM. Chad said, love you. Going with Garth in an hour to see the other side of heaven too. Missing you desperately, but so excited to be with you. Garth is his son. He's not going out with Garth Brooks. Garth is <laughs> Garth Brooks is better than that. Yeah. God, I hope. Lori responds, you will love it. And Chad responds, not as much as I love you. Oh, shut up, you <laughs> grown up Harry Potter ass. <laughs> and Lori tells Chad that the scenery of the film reminds her of Kauai and, quote, hopefully we will be there together someday soon. And he says, that is the plan and my greatest desire. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they talked about how Chad and Lori visited the temple the day before Tylee is presumed to have died. And just a few days before JJ's presumed death, there were like seven trips to the temple. Uh, another born cross. Nothing seemed to be revealed here other than Heidemann might have been reaching for her connections about Ned and the significance of Tuesday. She's made this big deal about how they got married on a Tuesday. So she kept trying to connect things to Tuesdays. Um, but she only brought the information that Chad had searched for Ned, for example. She didn't actually look into what she had, what, what he would have found. Um, and so they ask like why did you think that was important which is super fair um and he basically accuses her of cherry picking records and perpetuating the state's case not the truth basically uh which again i felt that was a fair assessment of her of her testimony Lindsay blake came up though and tried to ask questions to back up the tuesday theory thing i guess and it was confirmed that heidemann's job was to look at searches not look into searches she was just there to sell this is what they looked at not what sites were actually coming um so yeah that was her testimony i wasn't overly enthused other than to read that wonderful text message not as much as i love you that's so gross i hate this it is special agent nick balance from the fbi cellular analyst or analysis survey team i said analyst but he's not surveying the analysts he's doing the analysis anyway so he comes up to testify uh he's questioned by rob wood about more cell phone stuff pinging and all that uh, cell phone companies recording the activities of their customers, which towers are used. Uh, but uh, CAST also used Google location tracking. See, he prepared this document of like 30 different phone records and several Google accounts belonging to Lori and testified that Alex was out and about between midnight and 5 a.m. on September 9th, 2019, the day that we presumed Tylee was killed. Um, this is, I wrote day 15, the one with the phone call because I'm like friends now. <laughs> balance was back on the stand uh so alex's phone was in the vicinity of chad's home on september 9th just before noon uh there are a lot of conversations here going on about chad and Lori, or between chad and Lori and alex shortly after the phone left chad's property in the morning of september 9th he discussed the cell activity that took place on september 23rd between uh 3 59 a.m and 8 34 a.m Chad sent numerous text messages to Lori. He called Alex. It was a whole thing. He goes on to also place Alex around the Daybell residence on October 9th, the day Tammy reported being shot at with a paintball gun. And then again at 1130 uh, p.m. on the night that Tammy, quote, died in her sleep after 50 minute phone call between him, Chad and Lori. I also wrote here, don't be suspicious. <laughs> During the cross, Thomas says that you can start out as an agent and then go on to be a special agent. And Pallant says, no, you start out as a special agent. And Thomas says, oh, well, 
what's so special about it? <laughs> and Balance Stop. tells him. Stop. <laughs> no. Balance tells him the proper title is FBI Special Agent. There is no such thing as FBI Agent. <laughs> I called him have- Chuckles for a reason. Why would you ask? What's so special about it? <laughs> Come on! That is literally this man the entire trial. It is killing me. So, um, Summer Shiflet, Lori's younger sister, comes up next. Um, she didn't know that the kids were missing until December uh, through the media. She found out from the fucking news. That sucks. So she, yeah. She spoke to Lori on February of 2020 and was told that Lori knew where they were and that they were safe. And she trusted her sister. And she believed her. And as we know, the lie detector test determined. Uh, so Summer said that when she learned the children were dead, she, quote, felt lied to. And my trust in my sister was broken. Yeah. Correct answer. Then they played a another devastating phone call between Summer and Lori in jail on June 24th, 2020. I shared this in, this one in the Discord. So Summer is sobbing throughout the entire phone call. And so was I. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's literally choked up. Like she's she's struggling to breathe through this experience. And Lori said uh, she didn't know what was going on. She had been in isolation. And through her sobs, Summer informs her that her children's remains are found on her husband's backyard. Like, and, and Lori, or Summer asked Lori if she knew where they were. And Lori says, I can't talk about it. Summer is like, Lori, I love you. I love Alex. But she believes that Lori allowed the children to be thrown away like garbage, which correct. And she said, quote, you went off to Hawaii and were dancing on the beach while your children were in the ground. You had to know they were there. I just can't understand. I don't understand. I don't understand. I want to believe the best in you. I really do. I love you with all my heart and it kills me. They were just little kids. I don't understand. I don't understand. She tells Lori that they would have taken the children and she just starts screaming at her how much they loved those kids. You cut me and mom off for four months and told everyone not to trust us because we would tell Adam. And now we find this out and you expect me to just keep going on faith when there's zero explanation and you expect me to just keep believing without ever having a question. And she screams that uh, she went on TV. She went on TV to defend Lori. I think I talked about that in her mom's weird lip liner in the in the first episode. Um, She said Lori never called to tell her about Alex dying or that her kids were gone. And Lori just keeps saying, I can't talk about it. And Summer's like, you never called to tell me when this was going on when you weren't in jail and now you can't talk about it. And Lori says, you don't think I'm in pain? And Summer goes, no, I don't. I think you were dancing on the beach, having a great time getting married, and you took pictures to prove it. Your kids don't deserve a burial, but you need to get wedding photos. And Lori tells her, nobody knows. It's super, it's super powerful. Like, I'm getting moved right now. Yeah. Um, people in the courtroom were crying. Lori isn't looking up. She's She's got her head down almost this entire trial. Lori says in the phone call, nobody in the world knows what I've been through. All you've seen is what's on TV. I'm saying nobody has seen me crying on the floor over my children that I love more than anything. <laughs> and Summer straight up in this call. She's crying this whole time. And she, <laughs> she like stops crying for a minute. She goes, Lori, you were dancing on the beach with a smile on your face taking wedding photos and Lori goes yeah months later I wanted to move on and be happy and Summer's just like 
Do you think that your mother and your sister and son don't deserve to know that the children are gone? Why wouldn't you call to tell us this? And she starts trying to convince Lori that she's been deceived by Chad, saying they were innocent and they were loved. Come up with an explanation publicly. And then the call cuts off. Archibald steps up in the cross and apologizes to her for having to relive that call. Because it, again, was very hard to listen to. And he asks Summer all about Lori's marriages leading up to Joe Ryan, about Lori protecting her children against Joe Ryan, about how she cared for Kylie through her, or I'm sorry, Tylee through her pancreatitis. Um, and Summer Shiflet was there as Tylee's representative um, and described Tylee as beautiful and witty and very talented in a lot of different ways. Archibald asks, would you ever imagine her, your sister wanting to kill her kids? And Summer's crying and she says, no. And Archibald said, would you ever imagine your sister cons- to kill her? And Summer again says, no, she didn't really believe in Lori's teachings, although she wanted to. She was told that she had other lives and Lori could cast out evil spirits uh, about light and dark scales. She explained that she was close with Alex. She thought that he was fun and funny, but kind of crude and obnoxious. And then she goes on to explain something I thought was really interesting. She said, quote, he got in his car accident when he was 16 and then made decisions like a 16 year old for the rest of his life. So I thought that was pretty fascinating, given what we know about Alex. Uh, She also says that she stays in touch with Colby and agreed, like Colby, testified that Lori changed after she met Chad. I mean, that would. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Do you feel like this is a good time to call it? Yeah. I mean, if you do, you're the one with the notes. You're the ones. You're the one with the information. This is probably going to be four. This is probably going to be four parts. I just All don't right. want to keep going for my throat hurts. Yeah, no, that's fine. If this is a good spot to stop for you, then we can stop here. Let me make a note of where I'm stopping so I can pick up next time. So that's going to be it for today. We'll get back in with uh, another police testimony next week. But uh, yeah, I, I just can't. I can't can't talk anymore. <laughs> been talking been up a since three thirty. Yeah, it's been a day. Well, thanks for joining us today for part two of the Lori Vallow trial. And we want to hear from you. Send us your stories, your questions, and your feedback to strangeunusualpodcasts at gmail.com. If you're sending a story, we just ask that you put listener story in the subject line so you can sort through those a little more easily. You can also find us on Instagram at strange underscore unusual underscore podcast or our personal accounts Roy Rampage and Calamity Casey. You can find us on Twitter at underscore strange unusual at Calamity Casey and at Roy Rampage. We're also on Facebook. Just search for the Strange Unusual podcast and look for our logo that's, you know, on the podcast you were listening to. Um, if you'd like, you can join us over on Patreon at patreon.com slash strange unusual. Um, like we kind of talked about and Casey mentioned a couple of times while she was covering the information, we do have a Discord that is accessed through Patreon where um, the coverage and conversation about this case was very intently followed. Um and if you would like to join the ilk, <laughs> then you can feel free. Everything is $2 currently, which is the Discord access to old bonus episodes. Um, we're hopefully going to be getting back into the habit of watch parties soon. Um, we have done some book, uh, book club reading type stuff and just sharing, you know, memes and funny things and stuff like that to kind of lighten up your day, hopefully. And sometimes, you know, existential dread memes because you need a healthy balance. Um, 
But we understand if you cannot support us financially right now, things are still expensive. And, um, you know, you might just not like us enough. And that's cool. That's very valid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we both understand. I do. Um, I, nobody hates me more than me. <laughs> um, but if you can, we'd really appreciate it. If you like, shared, subscribed, rate, review, all that kind of, you know, all those bells and whistles and things you can click to, you know, help us be noticed by um the powers that be in podcasting yep so um and if you leave us a five-star review we will read the review on the podcast um but it has to be five stars you can literally say whatever you want and i will read it on air barring some you know uh, certain things probably um but you know, you can just say, like, oh my god, I can't believe they're doing Lori Vallow in, in four episodes. <laughs> this is gonna be, this is stupid. Five stars. Yeah. <laughs> like, or, you know, uh, Roya's color commentary is uh, out of place and unnecessary. Five stars. How dare like, you? I'd fight that person after <laughs> I read their comment out loud on the podcast. Um, but yeah, and, and interacting with us on, uh, social media is something that we both really enjoy a lot as well. We like getting tagged in things by people or getting, you know, suggestions for, um, cases or information you'd like to see us cover. That's come up a few times through, um, Twitter specifically. Uh, and yeah, we just like, we like hearing from you guys. We almost always respond. I don't think there's been a time we haven't sent something back to someone, um, but yeah, uh, so more Lori Vallow coming down the pipe. <laughs> well, I think Roy's just excited she gets to take this big long break. She doesn't have to do any work for the next three or four weeks. Uh, yeah, except edit, edit the, the two hour long episodes. Yes. Look, do you ain't else. gotta do no notes, bitch. That's accurate. <clears throat> yep. I just have to edit as much as two episodes, basically, in the same amount of time. Look, I can't help. Look. That I am better at notes. <laughs> Oof. Well, you can also edit the podcast then, huh? I mean, Do it. I think I've asked you a number of times <laughs> to give me a walkthrough, and you don't. I don't but mind I was... doing it, but I want to take your shit saying that I'm not doing anything either, <laughs> when I obviously am. I actually do want to say thank you for reading the entire outro. I was getting ready to start the second part, and I was like, <gasps> saved. <laughs> yeah. I got you. I listen. I care despite what you think. <laughs> Thanks. Bye. All right. Bye. <laughs>